Tonight we'll talk about fruit. This morning we started in John chapter 15. I think just for reference, we should go back to John chapter 15. We'll take it from there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 15. I read to you, I said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The title for tonight is fruit. I am the true vine, true vine. In other words, there is also the false vine. What feeds your life that is not God? For some, it's a career. Some is taking their, their identity from their career and what they, their life force comes from what they do. Some people get that from Instagram likes. You thrive on people liking you and you get depressed when a post doesn't reach its goal. There are people who thrive because of the group of friends they are. They put tattoos to mark their territory on their face and say, I'm part of this group of people. And that's what they're attached to and that's what feeds them. Jesus says, I am the true vine. All these are imitations. They'll all eventually fail. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's a scary verse because it means that you can be in him and not bear fruit. Let me explain that slowly to you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So it, it means that you, in him, a Satanist is not in him. One that denies Jesus Christ as the Son of God is not in him. If you are not born again, you are not in him. If you are not saved, you are not in him. It means that you can be saved and fruitless. Do you know of Christians that profess Christianity but carry no fruit of Christianity? It is possible to be a Christian. It is possible, let me slow it down. It is possible for you to be a Christian and not carry fruit. That's a dangerous thing. He cuts it away uh, and takes it away. At the end of that, I think this portion of text, he says, they're cast into to the fire and burned up. That's a nasty thing. You don't want to be there. He says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit, fruit, more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I abide and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Again, he repeats it. There must be a reason why he repeats it. I am the vine. In other words, the branch is not the source of the life force. The vine is. The branch in itself is not the origin of vision, thought, direction, leading. It does not dictate to God what He does. God dictates to you. Many Christians live under the impression that God is his or her personal butler. In other words, God is there to serve your vision. No, you are attached to Him. He is not attached to you. If he loses you, he's still God. If you lose him, you're dead. Have that picture in your mind. He repeats it. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So let's see that again. Verse 2. He who bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have fruit, much fruit. And he again says, much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and it withers. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So before, if you're a Christian, 
and you are saved and you don't carry fruit, what will happen is you'll wither before you are cast away. If you are going backwards as a Christian, you're in danger. If your Christianity is becoming a burden to you, be careful that you don't dry up. The Word of God is, called the, is likened to water. Something that's being dried up or withers needs water. You need the Word of God. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. It's funny. It says there, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask. So he says, abide in me and I in you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, it tells you what has to abide in you. His word. So what does it mean when he prunes you? It's his word that corrects you. You need to learn how to take correction. All of us need to learn how to take correction. You will ask whatever abide in you. If my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. If God's word is in you, it affects your desires. You happy? If God's word is in you, it affects what you desire. You cannot be in God's presence and want vain things. Yeah. Every time God appears on the scene, um, people are struck with awe. The Bible says you can't see God and, and live. I don't think you stand in the presence of God and go like, Jesus, just while we're here, can we talk about that polo I want to buy? Vanity doesn't fill you in the presence of God. When you really know him and when his word is really in you, it begins to affect because his word is the truth. It cuts away lies. People often want things because they are manipulated by the world in which they live to desire things that they think gives them power, reverence, uh, elevates them in, public, in the public perspective. Those things disappear when the Word of God begins to fill your heart. Your desire begins to change. But he says there, whatever you desire, it shall be done for you. That's quite a thing. Whatever. It doesn't say some of the things you desire. Whatever you desire. When you begin to align yourself with God, His desires begins to fill your heart and He gives you what you desire. But my Father is glorified by, by this. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. How is, so God is not glorified by your fruit. He's glorified by your much fruit. By bearing much fruit, my Father is glorified. And so you will be my disciples, followers of Jesus, bear fruit. And in fact, he prunes them and they bear much fruit. The title tonight is about fruit. He is the vine. Remind you, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you don't bear fruit. So in other words, if you're not, a, if you're not attached to God, you might drive a nice car, live in a nice house, have a great career, and God calls you fruitless. You might be the guy they call for advice in your company. You might be the guy the government relies on for direction and policy making. You might even be the president. You might have ascended to the highest level of a career or of the political arena in our country. Whatever you ascend to, if you're not in God, he doesn't consider it fruit. It's an amazing thing. God is not impressed by the things that impress us. God is impressed by things that impresses him, which is very different from the things that impresses this world. You don't show up with a new car and God goes, oh, wow. How'd you do that? 
the fruit that impresses God is not the same as the results that we call success in this life. There are different things that God looks at. He is the true vine. In other words, the fruit that you bear when you're in him, he wants you to bear more of that. And those fruit is what he says pleases him. We are after fruit. So when you align your desires with the will of God, because you have the word of God, it begins to teach you what you ought to desire. And when you do that, you'll bear a certain type of fruit. And fruit, if you begin to bear fruit, I, I don't think you're a happy tree if you don't bear good fruit. I think it, 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 it surely is easy to deduct from that. If that process is fulfilled in your life, your life's, the, the joy that you have in your life, the feeling and the emotions that you'll have in your life begins to change. I, I, don't, I can't see how you can be depressed when you begin to produce much fruit. How is it possible to be exceptionally fruitful and depressed in the kingdom of God? So if you're looking for happiness, it's not while you're attached to the wrong vine. Because the fruit you bear of that will still not be enough because it's the wrong fruit. All right, so can we talk about fruit just for a second tonight? Let's see where we can start. I think I want to start with the story about Nicodemus. It's in John chapter 3. We just read from John 15. Go with me to John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. It's funny. It's a lot of things funny apparently to me. I repeat that phrase. I'm catching myself having some of these phrases that I repeat often. It's funny. You find none of these strange theological words in the Bible. Nowhere do you read the word soteriology. Have you ever read the word soteriology in the Bible? No, well, it's written in Hebrew, so you won't really read anything. It's just a bunch of pictures and all of them look alike. I don't know how you read them. And then it makes it more challenging to read from the left to the right. That's just, yeah. Do you read Hebrews from left to right? Right to left. You lead left, left to right. We do left to right. Which is left? This, yes, we read, amen. Stop confusing me, I'm a pastor. That's what I thought. And so it's, it's, it's a funny, but you don't get these big words. And so sometimes when people begin to investigate scriptures, they get caught up in YouTube videos. It's, because, it's when you don't have a real pastor and you're not really submitted that you turn to YouTube because that YouTube pastor will never call you out. It's not going to be at your wedding. Won't celebrate your birthday with you. It's not going to be there when you're in hospital and certainly won't show up at your funeral. But turn to them. All they do is confuse you. And then you begin throwing around big words that's not in the Bible. The Bible wasn't written with big words. And we've taken concepts and given it words. And so in theological circles, you can have those big words. And it can mean something to the scholars. But the Bible wasn't written for scholars. The Bible was written for, for normal people to live out. And it doesn't matter if you know what soteriology, what, what other words, hermeneutics, exegesis. See, I know three big words. Doesn't matter if you know these words. If you don't walk, what, walk out what the result of those words mean in your life. It, it, it does, it, God, is, God goes like, if you come into heaven, Paul asks you, do you know what biblical theology is versus systematic theology? Do you know the difference between the two? And you go, no. Paul goes like, well, you go to the lower levels. You're just not smart. 
No, because you could know those words and still not bear fruit. Jesus doesn't go in the Bible. Sermon on the Mount goes like, let's talk about, um, what's the word for, for end time stuff? Eschatology. Let's talk about eschatology. And you go like, oh, I mean, the guy in Jesus' time sitting on the rock barely can write. He doesn't have a big pen, doesn't have an iPad, doesn't have Google. And you all smug sitting there thinking you're researchers. You have YouTube and Google. If you lived in Jesus' time, you would just be a stupid. <laughs> you think you're smart because you can type it into Google. You get the answer. You, two weeks later, you don't remember the answer yourself. But the Bible is written in a plain speech so that you can plainly understand what it means. It doesn't help you know all these deep things, but in simplicity, you don't live it out doesn't help you knowing what, what eschatology means or soteriology, all these things. It doesn't help you know what that means if you can't live it out in your marriage. If your friends looks at you and you don't have much of them because they can't stand you. If you have a business and the business is falling apart. Or you have a business and the only one that's rich is you. And your employees are getting substandard salaries. And you're overworking your employees and the only one that's scoring is you. Jesus looks at you and goes like, maybe you should unlearn some of these words. Just get back to the basics. God wants Christians to bear fruit. And in, in bearing fruit, he doesn't mean get a degree in theology. Although those things are good and study of the word of God is good. He implies there that you should affect, it, it should be affected in the way that you walk. Then now we have this guy, a Pharisee. Pharisee tells me a lot about this guy. He is Nicodemus, a ruler of the, uh, the Jews, a Pharisee by trade. It means that he is very schooled in his day's theology, understanding of the things of God. He is highly schooled in the word of God, what he had available to him. He had a complete Old Testament. And what we have, he had. A complete Old Testament. He could read it, but over his eyes, he was still blinded. He could not see beyond just the written word. He did not have the spirit of God that could reveal it to him, nor Jesus Christ, to which the Old Testament points the key to unlock its meaning. There was a man, the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. I almost said Jaws. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. Jesus is in his ranks, not considered a rabbi. Jesus is by trait a lesser person in the Pharisees' eyes because he is a carpenter. He is a man of Trade, not of academia. He is not a man as schooled as a Pharisee. And yet Nicodemus comes to him. Some theologians agree that when it uses the term, he comes to him at night, although it does mean he comes to him in the darkness of night, it speaks more spiritually as well of his state. That he comes to him at night under the pressure of his condition and state. He comes under a covering of darkness over his life. He comes to Jesus and something in him is reaching out. And this man, a scholar, then gives Jesus a platform to speak from. And he gives him, an, he, he gives him the courtesy of referring to him as a rabbi. He says to him, Rabbi, we know, he uses the word there, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Too many Christians, and when I say that, 
And it's, it's maybe bad language to say Christians. Maybe I should just take that out of my vocabulary for a moment. Some of us like to start our explanation of what we assume we know with sentences like this. We know. We try and set the tone of where God is taking us. We are, he says you should accept the things of the kingdom like little children. Children are not confident in their overpowering knowledge that we know. Because when you start off with we know, you sort of close the door to be able to, to know something new. We know. He starts off. He puts him, he, he wants to back up his confidence with adding to himself other Jews. He doesn't say, I know. I mean, he's the ruler of the Jews. He doesn't go, I know. He doesn't have, so he, he feels that if he can tell Jesus that we know, he adds volume to his voice. Often you find people say that we feel this way. You and who feels that way? Well, me and my sister. That's not a lot of we. You and your wife, that's the two of you feel that way. I normally want to know who's the you, uh, who's the we in your story? Because if there's like a whole you group, I want to find out who contaminated the group. Who was the mouthpiece that confused them? He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Sort of with a smirk on his face, he, we know, we know, we know you're a teacher come from God. For no one, no one, he uses the word there, no one can do, cannot do, no one can do. The word for can do is the same word I'll show you now where it's used the second time. No one can do, you cannot do these signs unless you come from God. You cannot do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he, he says, this is what we know. We know that this cannot be done if God is not with you. You must therefore, deep theologian, you cannot do this if you don't have God. Therefore, God must be with you. Clever theologian, you. Jesus answers and says to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born. The same word for unless one is born. Uh, the same word for he cannot. Watch it, what it says. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot. The same word for cannot do is used. You say you cannot do this if you don't have God. I say to you, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is busy playing with words with him. Jesus answers and says to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Because he says, I know how you do this. God is with you. He says, take a step back because you think you see. He's, 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 he's saying that the way you do these things is because God is with you. Jesus says what you see is on the surface. I want to show you what my plan is and how it works in your life. So you think I do this because God is with me. You can't even see what is happening when you see me do this. You, what I do here is not because God is with me. It's because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because you're missing what I'm preaching. Because Jesus went about preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, you cannot see, so your deduction is not accurate, even though it sounds right. Your deduction is not accurate because you are not born again. 
One cannot see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Moses should I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, now the one who knows says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Because his mind that's trying to comprehend spiritual things is connected to fleshly things. Can I explain this? Is this okay? He's trying to figure out how does Jesus do these things? Is he God? He, Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He says, how can you be born again? Born again is not a concept that Nicodemus knew. Born again is a concept that is only established in the New Testament. He doesn't understand what born again means, so he doesn't comprehend. He is thinking fleshly because the law is fleshly. And when you wouldn't obey the law, you obeyed it by the flesh. So he says, you, 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 you have to be born again. How do you do that? Because you can't go into your mother's womb again and be born a second time because he thinks it happens in the flesh. He wants to understand the kingdom of God by flesh. Jesus says to him, no, it's not by flesh. Watch what he says. He says, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus, Jesus said, Moses, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot see the kingdom if you're not born again and you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot see it and you cannot enter it. Born again is the access door into seeing and entering the kingdom of God. You cannot enter. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blow where it blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Don't marvel at this. Flesh is flesh. Spirit is spirit. Separate the two. Understand that there in you is flesh and in you is spirit. If you are born again, Nicodemus answered, how can these things be? I thought you started with, we know. Oh, you deep scholar, you, I thought you knew we know. No, you don't. This is a good starting place for every level of Christian. You don't, don't stop assuming you know. Get within yourself an attitude to learn. And an attitude to learn doesn't mean learn big theological words. It's learn the ways of God. And the ways of God is simple. As a teacher, I should know. As the pastor of the church, I should know the meaning of the big words and how they have play out in our lives. I should understand that. But if I preach that to you, I'm trying to be impressive and not helpful. That's why my messages are, don't carry these words. My messages carry simplicity because I have to have you leave here and understand how it affects you practically because what else am I doing here? I don't want you to sound clever. I want you to walk clever. I want you to be able to practically see the kingdom of God and see how it manifests in your life. Jesus says to him, uh, he says, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? You, you are the teacher of Israel. Are you on YouTube? And you don't know these things. Moses, you I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. And if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? There are too many people that jump out of the bus at surface level things. We like go, you can't expect me to be in church two, two times 
uh, two Sunday, uh, two services on a Sunday, that's too much. If that crashes you, how can God begin to use you in deep things? How can God, if you can't even show up to a church service, this is, this is, this is why I, I can't change my tune on the fact. If you struggle to show up to church, what do you want God to reveal to you? What do you want God to do with your life? If you want God to use you, you have to be trustworthy. He says to the guy with the one talent, what did you do with the talent? No, I, I, you, you, I just hit it, man. But here's your talent back. Jesus said, that's not good enough. Take his talent, give it to somebody that wants to use it. If you want to have God reveal deep things to you, you sort of have to show up. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. And Jesus is explaining things that he just mind blows. He cannot comprehend it. We need to get to a place where we are hungry for God to begin to reveal things to us that moves us closer. But God's not going to waste his breath if he knows you can't even show up. If you, that's why discipline is important. Discipline is important to God. Well, he uses the words, he uses the scripture. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God would much rather Adam and Eve not eat the tree than have to fix it. God would much rather have you listen when you pray and he says no and you submit to his no than have to have you answer your prayers afterwards to fix your mess. If you didn't cause the mess, you wouldn't have two years worth of prayer asking Jesus to fix it. Now we have to preach grace consistently because you're not obedient. Grace is true. Grace is there. Grace is sufficient. While you breathe, God has grace for you. If God didn't have grace, none of us, including myself, would be preaching on this platform. None of us would be in the service tonight. God's grace is, is enough. But we so heavily, we sort of abuse it because we're not disciplined. And imagine what God can do with your life. A student who is disciplined in his studies outperform those who just bunk school. Now we, we look at the two people who bunk school and still starts a business. We go like, she, he's successful. But we don't look at the stats that 90% of them who do that never become successful. We confuse the 2% that do. Statistically, the guy who gets a degree gets a better salary because he was obedient and disciplined. But in Christianity, it's the same thing. We don't have a prayer life because we're not obedient and disciplined. And yet we pray, God, show us things. What do you want him to show you? And if you have it, what do you want to do with it? Would you give a car to a kid or a gun to a child? He says to Nicodemus, if you can't even comprehend earthly things, what would happen to you if I begin to talk to you about heavenly things? If you're not faithful in the small, how can I put you be, make you be faithful? I can't expect you to be faithful. Paul says, I've seen things that I'm not allowed to speak to. God could show him things knowing that Paul has the ability to not share it. Some of us don't have the ability to be quiet. When you begin to have revelatory gifts from God, it doesn't mean when you see things in the spiritual realm that God shows you, you have to speak about it. Sometimes you have to pray about it. But some of us confuse that as a sign of our spiritual strength. And so we have to share it to show other people what we can do. Which is a limitation of what God can show you. Because if God can't trust you with secrets, how will he show you more? I'm trying. Am I saying anything? So he says to Nicodemus, 
you are the teacher of Israel. You don't know these things. Um, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the son of man. And Moses lifted up the serpent. Um, I want to jump here back to Mark 11. Jesus is walking with the disciples. The next day, chapter 11, verses 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. So Jesus is walking towards Bethany, and he sees a fig tree in the distance, and it puts the word there in leaf. In other words, when the fig tree begins to produce leaves, there must be fruit. The, the leaves is a sign that there is fruit. Do you know that what was, the, what was the tree that Adam and Eve used to cover themselves their naked with, nakedness with? As a fig tree. Jesus wants people to carry fruit. Jesus sees a fig tree in leaves. He sees a fig tree in leaf. He sees fig leaves. I wonder if it reminds Jesus of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with fig leaves. Jesus was there. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was God. The, the word was there. Jesus was in the garden. And Jesus sees Adam and Eve walking under the cover of fig leaves, but their lives disconnected from him. Because of their sin, they're cut off from God. They're not bearing fruit. They've had children yet. They just committed a sin. They are cut off from God. They don't carry fruit. Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance in leave. He, he's on a mission to Bethany, but he takes a detour to see if a tree has fruit. Jesus inspects our lives to find fruit. You don't have to be the preacher on the platform. He's looking for fruit. You can be in hiding in the, in the top row, in the darkest corner of this church where I cannot see you. God doesn't care if I see you. He'll do the inspection himself. He's always approaching to see if there is fruit. Jesus is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit in your life. Jesus is not looking for earthly success. Earthly things are earthly things. Heavenly things are heavenly things. Jesus is looking for fruit. People confuse what fruit is. People think that when the world is against the church, the pastor is apologetic and accepting and embracing. Know that we're in a fight. We're in a fight, darkness against light. The kingdom of this world wants to overpower the kingdom of God. And he has made, he calls us shepherds. A shepherd is a dangerous thing to a wolf. A shepherd protects the sheep. You want a shepherd that wants to act like a sheep. That's what we have in churches as leaders. Sheepishly hiding because they're afraid of the fight. God has called us to the fight. He has called the Lion of Judah. There is a roar in his voice. And we need to stand up for what we believe. And we need to learn how to defend what we stand for. It doesn't mean that we become nasty people. It doesn't mean that we call out people's sins. That's Jesus' job and the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness and judgment. We don't. But it doesn't mean that we apologize for everything we do. And it doesn't mean we're, if something is wrong, it's wrong. The Bible says if a brother offends, you take it to the church so that the church may judge. But we want the church to not judge. Am I teaching any scripture tonight? I'm trying. Is everything okay? So he, he, he goes to see if there's leaves. 
he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for the figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now I skip um, to verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Same word as in the story of John 15. You begin to wither when you are cut off from God. When you bear no fruit, you wither. This tree, John 3, he sees there is no fruit. He curses the tree. The tree, the, the tree begins to wither. He says, if you are in me but bear no fruit, you will begin to wither and be cut off. When God begins to look at your life and you carry no fruit, He's going to take your one talent and give it to the guy with ten talents. This is not condemnation. You can shout grace all you want. It's in the New Testament. God's grace. His grace is the same story about the, the, the gardener who says, Father, they don't bear fruit. Give them one more year. In the story of Luke about the tree that does not bear fruit, Jesus is the gardener that prays to the Father and says to the Father, let us give this tree one more year. If it doesn't bear fruit in the next year, then we'll cut it off. God's grace gives you time and time. The problem is how much time do you want before you wake up? Because the better life in God is full of fruit. God wants fruit in your life. He looks at this tree, curses the tree because it doesn't have fruit. It pretends it, it has leaves but no fruit. It pretends to have what it does not have. God doesn't care what other people think about you. He doesn't care if people think you're special or not. He wants you to be really special. And when you really are special in the eyes of God, you'll care less about what other people think because the substance is true. We don't need other people to affirm us when God does. Jesus was not put in ministry by the affirmation of the disciples. He was put in the ministry by the affirmation of the Father. This is my Son, in whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's the affirmation of the Father at the day of His baptism underwater, and the ascension of the Holy Spirit upon Him, which thrust Him into ministry, the affirmation of the Father. God will affirm you when what you do is right. When you have fruit on you, he walks up to the tree. He, he says to the disciples, watch what he tells the disciples about this fruit tree. Verses, to, uh, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So he's saying that you can't pray prayers for mountains to move if you have sin in your life. Sin, sin most often is unforgiveness. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. And when those things are in place, you, have, you get towards a place where you can tell mountains to move. You don't have to be a powerless Christian. Maybe this is the reason we're here tonight, so that you can wake up to the fact that your life can bear fruit. No matter what you've been through, your life can bear fruit. God is looking for fruit. He gets to Adam and Eve. They're covered in fig leaves, completely lost in darkness, cut off from God. He doesn't leave them there. He looks at that fig leaf problem there that they have there. Some, someone says that sin makes you stupid because fig leaves are itchy. 
Adam and Eve goes and gets fig leaves to cover their nakedness. That's not smart. Jesus, God shakes his head, walks around, gets an animal, kills an animal. Blood has to be spilled. That is grace. The animal takes their sin's place, takes their skin, covers them, and then begins the journey towards fruitfulness. God is leading you towards fruitfulness. He wants you to carry fruit. He doesn't just want you to carry fruit. When you carry fruit, He wants you to carry more fruit. The conversations begin to change the closer you get to God. The closer you get to God, you think that God is just butterflies and red roses and God's not gonna challenge you. You can shout grace again. It is the grace of God that challenges you. It is the grace of God that cuts away what is not Him. It is the love of God that wants you to be the best you. And God can't leave you with cancer. Sin is a cancerous thing in your life and God cuts it away. There are friends in your life that's taking you down, cut it off. You go, no, that hurts. No, that's saving your life. And His Word, when it's spoken into your life and you have a, a heart to receive it, God is beginning to correct things. And at the loss of certain things, you gain God. And some of us are willing to lose God, but not lose things. And God begins to prune away because He doesn't want you to just carry fruit. He wants you to carry much fruit. The Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. It tells us that we need to have wisdom in how we operate in this world. Watch this. And God, um, where is this? I've got so many scriptures in here. It's not there. Luke 6, it says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good fruit. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Much of the fruit is our deeds and our speech. God says the tree is discerned. You don't get a fig from a thorn tree. If you are in God, you will see if the fruit matches your testimony. What you say is reflected in what is revealed to the world to see. And some of us are pretending what we are not. I said it in a previous sermon. God cannot bless the pretend you. God cannot elevate what you pretend to be. If you are fake in your marriage, what, which one do you want God to bless? The fake marriage or the real one? But the real one is hidden. You pretend everything is well, what do you want God to fix? You pretend that you are happy and joyful and yet in your bed and you're depressed. God wants to work with a depressed person. That's the one that he needs to change. That's the one that needs to be corrected. That's the one when you sit with your pastor. Don't pretend that everything is fine. When you sit with your pastor, tell your pastor, listen, pastor, you have to pray for me. My wife's my nuts. The pastor might tell you if God leads him, well, you sound nuts too. When my wife sits down with, with the girls in the church, she doesn't ask, tell me about your bad husband. She says to them, your husband's not here. Let's talk about you. When you send your wife to my wife for a chat, you can be safe to know that she's going to deal with your wife. 
But God wants to work with you and he wants you to bear fruit. And he wants to look at your life and go, I am pleased with that because you know what? I don't know half of you. And I never will. And it's not my call to, and it's not my responsibility to know you. I don't dictate your life. I can't tell you what car to drive, which career to pursue. I don't have the answers. I'm not Jesus or Moses. I'm not there where the things go wrong, but Jesus is. And he is the one that carries you. We don't come to the church so that the pastor can tell you who to marry, who not to marry. That's stupid. You come to church to hear the word of God and let the word of God speak to you when no one else is watching. And let the word of God lead you and lead you into fruitfulness. He wants you to bear fruit. The Bible says in, in, in Hebrews 11, he is a rewarder of those that seek him. God rewards you. How does rewards look? That reward, when God rewards those who seek him, is, it's, he produces the results. He, I'm the vine, you are the branch. He who is in me will bear much fruit. If you are in God and you pursue him, he will produce results in your life. There is, there is, is, is um, let's see if I want to read Galatians. It's, no, it's too, too much. Now, let's read it just fast. I say to you, it's Paul speaking, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do what you want. The two is fighting within you to stop you from being fruitful. The devil wants to pause your growth. He wants to slow you down from producing what is the righteousness of God. There's this, this verse, I, I, I didn't read it to you. Let me finish this. They're in conflict, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh is obviously gives you the law list, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things that, these things, there are no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This walk in the flesh. It says of Jesus in Acts 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. God wants you to do good. You should be led by the Holy Spirit so that you can do good. You need the Holy Spirit. How people, most of you, let's, let's say there's three people in this room that's holy and don't struggle with anything, good luck. The rest of us sinners, we're saints, but we still sin. We struggle. It's not that easy. You know how, do, you, do you know how you overcome it? Not by deep concentration. Deep meditation. Not by yin or yang. You don't build a Zen garden and then concentrate hard and then you don't sin anymore. That's not how it works. You don't. He says the desires of the flesh is evident. These are the things. But if you are led by the Spirit, you will not fulfill. The way you don't sin is by being led of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3, it says, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, you're now trying to be perfected by works. You're, you're now saved, but you think you're going to keep your saved state by concentrating. You can't be disciplined enough. What you should be is led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't lead you if he can't speak to you. He can't speak to you if you think like Nicodemus, you know. 
when he speaks to you, he's going to tell you things that needs to change. He doesn't come to tell you, you're just at an amazing place to affirm you, just boost your confidence, and then takes half an hour to, to just get your heart steady. And then say, just before you leave, I just want to tell you, is it possible to forgive your sister? Not yet? Fine, but you still did good. This is a great week. See you next week. Do you think that's how Jesus talks to you? First of all, he doesn't come to you and fight in a half an hour for your attention. You come into church and fight a half an hour for his attention in worship. He. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. He doesn't enter your gates with praises. Don't be confused. He doesn't come to your house and just blow you up so that he, okay, Jesus, finally, I mean, now we're on the same page. You have my attention. Speak. Speak to your servant. He's listening. No. You get low and you humble yourselves. Humble means that you lay down your crowns, your ideas. Nicodemus, we know you are come from God. No, you don't know. You know nothing. You can't even see the kingdom. You're not even born again. How do I get born again? I thought you were the teacher of Israel. So Jesus, when, he, when you enter his, God begins to work in your life. And when you're really in the presence of God, he'll tell you what you need to fix, not what your friends needs to fix. God doesn't come to you to tell you what the church is doing wrong. He comes to you to tell you what you can do better. I'm done. Ish. When we come to God, we begin to worship Him. We can just love Him. And then there is a place because the flesh is crucified. It's in the outer court that sacrifice takes place. And this is weeks of salvation being saved. No covering. Then you get to the holy place where there is a natural lampstand. There's something that is a man-made object that makes light. This speaks of the gifts within the church that makes light. Then there is a place where it's the most holy. There is no light in that room. God himself is the light. There is a place in worship where you quiet down so much you don't even speak to God. You just enjoy the presence of God. This is the safest place you can be. This is the perfect place where lives are changed. Very few of us ever get to the most holy. A place of just quieting down before God and just enjoying God. When you get there, God begins to speak to you. It is at this place where the flesh is at its weakest. It is at this place where the spirit man becomes stronger. And it is at this place that God can deal with the things that needs to be dealt with. For in that place, it's easy to say to God, I'm sorry. It's in this place where your heart is made soft. This is where fruit begins. We need to get there. We start with thanksgiving. That's why our songs is, is praise songs. We start with thanksgiving, but we enter a place of worship. God wants fruit in your life. He's inspecting your life. Is there fruit? When you go home tonight, don't ask, is my friends saved? Ask yourself, am I where Jesus wants me to be? I'm not saying tonight to you, in closing, for my fourth closing, one of the only times that I do this. It's not about attending church more that makes you holy. 
I don't attend church every Sunday because I think it gets God's attention. It's because I love him and all that he's done for me, I attend church. If you think you'll get better by attending church more, that's wrong. That's an outflow of the relationship. I don't go home to Chanel so that I can get to know her. I know her, therefore I want to be at home. This is the best place for me. It's the safest place. This is where I want to be. Sometimes I have issues and things that I need to deal with. That can wait. Because God can fix things here that he can't fix in my office on Monday. That's why I'm here. It's easy to be here when the rest of the stuff is right. Make enough sense? Let me pray for you. Father, tonight, worship team, come on to the platform. We wait for them. Father, tonight, would you come and work in our hearts? When our parents look at us, do they see Jesus? When our friends look at us, do they see people that, are, that act self-righteous and holy? Or do they see the love of Jesus on us? Fruit very seldom is for the tree itself. It's most often for those around the tree. People around us should see you. Tonight, God, I pray, you'd come and help us inspect the fruit. What is not there that should be there, help us produce it. That which is limiting our ability to produce these fruits, cut it away. Tonight, come, Jesus, we give you permission. Come. When we, when we get into our beds tonight to sleep, visit us in our dreams. Speak to us in the night watches. God, when you want our attention and you wake us up in the middle of the night, give us a moment to pray, even if it's five minutes. And fill the room. Tomorrow when we drive to the offices and put on music to worship you, fill the car. Jesus, we want you there. Every day, everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen.